Hello there, and welcome to the second episode of the Dicebreaker podcast. Uh, coming to you not live, I don't know why I'm saying that. It's coming to you from slightly in the past. Um, <laughs> I am Matt Jarvis, I'm the editor-in-chief of Dicebreaker, and today I'm joined by two of the team. I'm joined by Johnny Chiadini, head of video for Dicebreaker.com. Hello, how are you doing? Hello. I'm doing all right, thank you. How are you doing, Johnny? I'm all right. I'm honoured to be back on the podcast. Obviously, we had to get rid of wheels because of all of the terrible things he said. <laughs> But, That's uh, it. He's in timeout for the next week. Yeah. He sat He's on, on the, the naughty, naughty step. step. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like the whole Dicebreaker team just kind of occupies the naughty step. More or less. Um, but we're just taking shifts. Uh, and of course, we are joined by Alex Meehan, staff writer for Dicebreaker.com. Hello there, Mr. Jarvis. Hello. You already said you are all right. Yeah, so how are you like... doing? <laughs> I could just give an entirely different answer to you. It's like, I'm all right <laughs> to Johnny, but I'm you know not as all right to you i don't know how are you doing anyway uh apart from being dreadfully hurt by that terrible mean comment uh i feel pretty good yeah i'm all right the sun is shining the birds are singing and i'm not with them (laughs) (laughs) to be fair if you were up a tree right now then we would be messaging you saying please come down from that tree it is time to record the podcast so yeah i've I've been up a tree before. It wasn't a fun experience. I'm telling you that now. <laughs> Having your own brother call you King Kong uh, as as you dangle from a tree at the age of about 11 is not a fun experience. Dang. Oh. But, you know, character building, I guess. My friends always made fun anyway. of me so I wouldn't climb as high as them because I was afraid of falling out and hurting myself. Hmm. I once had to chase my cat up a tree, as in my cat was stuck at the top of a tree uh, at the back of my house. Uh, And so I climbed up because it sounded, you know, like it was stressed. It was kind of meowing at the top. So I climbed up this great big fir tree, at which point it immediately scampered down, as cats do, leaving me stuck at the top of the tree, a person, (laughs) you know, with a deathly fear of heights. So that was great. Mm. Cats are so. just the worst. You know that was all premeditated. That cat woke up that morning oh, yeah. and was like, "You know what, Matt? You're going on an adventure <laughs> today. Up this tree with you." Maybe it was just trying to help you work your way through your fears of heights. Oh yeah, it was like a cathartic tree climbing. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, that's anyway. cat hour done. <laughs> cat hour. Well. We, we need to talk about something because it turns out there's not a lot of board games coming out, but we do have a few things to discuss. But for the moment, uh, let's start with you, Mian. Mian, what have you been playing this week? Um, I have been playing a lot of Scythe again. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've got a problem now. I had that first sweet taste last week. <laughs> um, sweet meaning kind of disappointing, but intriguing and then on saturday i played with two friends for pretty much five hours almost five hours straight um scythe yes and i came second in two of them which i think is uh, you know yeah it's an achievement Mm. but uh yeah so apart from playing a lot of scythe i've also played um the digital board game version of Mysterium. Uh, like Johnny mentioned last mm. week, it's pretty good. Um, what did you think the of own... the lobby? <laughs> <laughs> when I first turned it on, my ears almost exploded. Yep. 
from terrible, terribly loud music. That sounds about right. Um, that plays almost instantly and without warning. Uh, so I had to quickly rush to the options to turn it down as much as possible. Even on the lowest possible setting, it's still quite loud. Yeah. Um, uh, apart from the lobby, and the only other issue I had with it is that it it forces you to implement the um, timing mechanic. Yeah. Where you have to, you know, once everyone receives their cards, they have to, you know, they have two minutes to... Yeah, guess, which is we got around it. Here's a little tip oh. for you listeners out there. <laughs> Mian's top tips. <laughs> Mian's top tabletop tips. Top. <laughs> um, just wait to give, if you're the ghost, just wait to give the last player their card. Um, just let everyone else have a chance to help each other and guess and then give the last player their card. And I suppose the last player is just going to have to deal with it. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's pretty much, that is pretty much the rule anyway, isn't it? It's like, mm. decide which player know, you're funny. most angry at this round and give them their <laughs> card last. The uh, We rarely play, you know, tabletop mysterium with that rule. Mm. Like, Yeah, I, I don't remember don't ever think... playing it with that timer. I I do play it with that rule, but I sort of give them a, a minute's grace period. Mm, I don't know. Maybe it just makes it too easy. Maybe. But I just think that timing is just not necessary. Like, mm. it's not really about rushing. It's not a game where you rush. It's a game where you consider your options and delegate. Yeah. So putting a timing mechanic to that, I think, doesn't really work. Um but apart from that, uh, we had some good fun. I would say I prefer the digital board game version to the tabletop simulator version. Simply because it runs, not literally runs in terms of like a video game, but it runs smoother in general. Like we managed to get through two games in Mysterium in pretty much the same time it took to play a single game of Mysterium on tabletop simulator. Uh, and that wasn't because of the timer, I think. I think it's just because of the messing about with things. Um, but uh, either is viable. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't say, you know, you have to get the digital board game version um, if you would prefer the tabletop simulator one. And other than that, Mr. Jarvis and I had an amazing farmyard adventure. <laughs> yes, we didn't did. We? <laughs> yeah, speaking of games of incredibly loud music. Yep. Uh, Agricola, all creatures great and small, has maybe the loudest men- menu music I've ever encountered in any game. And because it's it's not a great app, let's be it's ve- so we were playing on PC, mm-hmm. uh, me and I, and it was very clearly the mobile app. So it's like not a great UI, nothing is explained, yeah. and you don't get a volume slider, you just get a toggle this music off, which I would advise you do immediately. Yeah. Uh, unless you want your eardrums to just rupture to the sound of kind of like 18th century strings. Uh, And sheep. The sheep. Yeah, just the bleating of sheep. The bleating of sheep. Because it's all going in the silence of the lambs, isn't it? (laughs) You um, made the same mistake I've been doing for the past few days, Mr. Jarvis, uh, calling it all all creatures great and small. Uh, It's actually all creatures big and small. Oh, yeah, you're right. 
But I completely understand why you would say that because I've been calling it that by accident as well. Is that him? Yeah, it's that classic him that everyone knows and loves. All creatures, big and small. Yeah. (laughs) I assume God's got the copyright on that one, so they had to go all big and small. Yeah. Maybe they didn't want to get smoked. He's savage with those takedowns. (laughs) Copyright claims left, right, and centre. Yeah, um, it was. It was. Okay, it's been a while since I played Agricola of any kind. And from what I remember of this, it's basically just Agricola, but they kind of like pull out the bits where you feed your starving family and have to expand your house. It's just the watch these animals breed. Oh, right. Now get more animals. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. They really, uh, they really went at it, I must admit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I felt sorry for that one cow living in my house. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can put one of the animals in your in your of cottage at the start can. of the game. You can adopt a, a cow as like an extra child. Oh, not just a cow, Johnny. A cow, or a horse, or a pig, or a sheep. Any any number of those animals. I wouldn't tolerate a, a horse living in my flat. My dog <laughs> is very much like a pig, so like we call her the piglet. So I I could deal with a pig. But a horse, yeah. You've got to draw. You got to draw the line somewhere, basically. Yeah, um, it was all right. Um, it was a little bit confusing at, at first because it, unless you do the tutorials, which I guess you sort of should do, mm. um, you're sort of thrown into the game and you're like, okay, here are some of the things you can do, uh, and essentially it's just uh, sort of. Each turn, you choose one of the options, so you can take some resources, or you can build a structure, or you can, you know, take an animal from the available stock. Uh, but once someone does one of those actions during that round, um, the next person, the next player, can't. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a, I guess each each option is eliminated once it's taken during that round, and then the next round they're refreshed again. Mm-hmm. So there were moments where Mr. Jarvis stole my food trough. <laughs> I was livid. <laughs> so were my pigs. Uh, and then you just had a lot of sheep. Yeah, Mr. my Jarvis. sheep were. I didn't have enough room for the sheep, so I had to keep setting them free because I had about six sheep, which would all breed. And then <laughs> I didn't have any room to put the, the new sheep anywhere. So every end of round, it was just like, well, I'm letting all these sheep go, I guess. I don't know. Mm. So Flooding the uh, European countryside yeah, just with... firing lambs out sheep. over the hills. <laughs> <laughs> Be like black sheep, if you've ever seen that. I haven't. Oh, wow, that's not a film I thought about in a long no. time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think there's a reason I haven't seen that one. And I like, I, I used to watch zombie films all the time. I don't remember being that bad, Mr. Jarvis. It was. Um... Oh no, I didn't say it was bad. I just I hadn't thought about it in a long time. It's. I think yeah. it's. It's perfectly okay. But who knows? Well, a glowing review. It's not stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not stuck with me. Let's you be real. About it's... as as keen on it as as you seem overall on the Agricola app. Yeah, it, it's yeah. Fi- It's it's a worker placement game. You put your workers down. You do the thing. Yeah, um, I've got. A copy I, that I think I've the benefit is in five years. I think. Yeah, it's just quick, mm. but it is it is one of those. But hey, it was fun. I enjoyed playing with Alex. It was, it was, yeah. Know. We made like, our own fun. I like, yeah, I liked living the fantasy of, 
owning my own farm with absolutely no responsibilities or consequences. <laughs> so uh, I have a fondness for sheep and cows, particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think they're cute. Fight me. <laughs> Fight me IRL. <laughs> Oh my god, you're going to have so many fights to deal with once we're all allowed outside again. Just a queue right, of people lining up. Alright, Johnny, what have you been playing? I uh, made my first foray into Tabletop Simulator, finally, uh, uh, with Wheels and Lolies, my two, I call them colleagues, but uh, they act like errant children. Um, Mm. they made fun of me because I didn't know how to do things like I didn't know how to flip (laughs) cards and they're like oh come on they upgraded me from dad to granddad which I found quite insulting but we (laughs) played Cosmic Frog which uh, I adore it was like only our second ever game so we played it in the first look area at PAX East in the before times um, and it's lovely and then it, it translates really well to Tabletop Simulator and it was really reaffirming actually to play it and go oh no we didn't we weren't just having a lovely time because we were you know three jet lag jet lagged friends you know just playing a silly game about frogs it is just a solid banger um i i i bloody love it so that we recorded that that's going up on the channel soon um Ooh. and i haven't so much played this one as i've hit join and informed the man running it that i have hit join but today i am like today is shows the commencement of a um a game of diplomacy that i'm going to be playing online oh, wow. sort oh, of no. via postal yeah. order uh, so you get your orders in by midnight uh, it's very civilized um orders are not accepted over the weekend uh, so we get the weekend off, or rather, the weekend is just an extra long turn, let's face it. Um, and yeah, uh, there are six of us, I think, playing. Um, the guy running it has elected to be Italy, which he says is like the weakest power in the game. And I, like, he's sort of done that as, I think, uh, I, I'm i the most experienced at diplomacy, so, you know... I will disadvantage myself. You're welcome, everybody. Move, but already I don't trust it. I'm like, what's what's his long game? What's his plan here? Yeah. He wants to make an, a, a a pact really early on in the game, so his backstab will have all the more force later. So that's very exciting. And as ever, I'm playing a lot of pen and paper role playing games. Um, I play. I dropped into a friend's D and D campaign on the weekend. I was playing as a tabaxi rogue, and I now understand why everyone enjoys playing a tabaxi, because they're hilarious. (laughs) Uh, Mine does not understand money. So anytime people are like, we want to send you on this quest, everyone's like, give us all of these riches and your firstborn child. Uh, And my tabaxi, who is French, uh, just repeatedly will say, I would like one gold piece. Um, (laughs) So that's been great. uh, yeah, I've got to, oh God, I've got two games of Deadlands coming up this week. Lots of dice rolling, basically, and some frogs mm-hmm. for good measure. That's me. Have Amazing. How about you, Matt Jarvis? I am, uh, I'm very jealous of your diplomacy game, I say, because I absolutely adore diplomacy, and none of my friends will play it with me either over the internet or in real life. I will be. Uh, so I miss it terribly. Um, because... Yes, uh, my advice is be an utter word i shouldn't say on this podcast just bad yeah. person be a bad the, person. the joy of diplomacy is just really getting into the scheming yeah i think that's that's the thing is you just need people who are able to separate it out from real life mm-hmm. but the the wonderful terrible thing about it is it often starts to mesh with real life yeah and you play off of actual kind of 
you know, oh, oh, do you remember when we did this? Or you can trust me, you know, we're good, Ooh. we're good friends. Let's go for them. And then, bam, you just swipe in and take France. <laughs> I remember from that amazing it's... episode of This American Life where a guy played diplomacy with an actual diplomat by his side. Yes, um, that guy told him never to lie, and I've used that as my tactic in games a lot of games with, with uh, diplomatic elements like twilight imperium i just don't lie to people if i'm going into someone's space i'm like i'm doing it because of this um if you've got a problem with that you can tell me but it's happening blah, blah, blah. um so i think i'll be doing that but maybe this is finally the time i break bad and just start lying through my teeth we'll see i don't know like yeah again i don't want to end up like like me and then have like five duels scheduled for the first day outside of lockdown. It would be like Look. the bloody mid-90s Three Musketeers. Three duels in one day. That's a deep cut, I mean, but I'm proud of it. You get them out of the I... way now, though. You know, do your fights now in diplomacy land. Yeah. And then by the time you emerge, everyone's fresh. They've got all their kind of, you know, all their issues resolved yeah. through diplomacy. They'll come blinking Look. into the sunlight, ready to forgive me for backstabbing <laughs> yeah. them. If you've gone through as many soirees as I have and dishonoured yourself as much as I have, <laughs> then you would have this many duels. Okay, yeah, fair enough. But and- now I can't do that. I have to do it via tabletop. <laughs> um, I, S- speaking of duels, uh, one game that I did play this week, uh, which was also over Tabletop Simulator, is Lawyer Up, mm. um, which I enjoyed very much. So it's, uh, I think by the time this goes up, the Kickstarter will have ended, but it's coming out next year. It's essentially, it's from uh, the designer of uh, Setter Watch. Uh, so that's one of the co-designers, Mike Nade, and then Samuel Bailey, who does or co-designed Forbidden Stars. Um, but essentially, it's a, it's a two-player game uh, where you are fighting in a courtroom. Um, so I went up against Wills. I was the prosecutor in an art forgery case and Wills was the uh, defender. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. Mm. So it's it's pretty simple at its core. Um, so it's kind of split into two halves. Um, so at the beginning of the game, you draft cards. So you keep one, you bury evidence, so you get it out of the game completely, and then you give one to your opponent. And it kind of represents you reading up on the case. Um, so as the prosecutor, you start with certain cards. As the defender, you start with certain cards. But then you can then add other cards, some of which benefit you, some of which you know, might hinder your opponent because they're not matching their um, position. So, for instance, the prosecutor can't play cards that defend and that kind of thing. But then the actual the core of it is just you call a witness to the stand each turn. Um, and they'll have, they they can be neutral or they can be uh, beneficial to either side. It's kind of equal um, in terms of how many are beneficial. But you can call your opponent's witnesses and kind of mess with them in different ways to try and get out ahead. Um, and then you play cards and they have icons at the top that you have to match as you play more and more cards. So you kind of combo these cards together and it represents you forming a kind of cohesive argument. Um, but then you can object to evidence or arguments made by your uh, opponent so you can just stop them you only get so many of those during a trial and you're basically fighting to have the most sway over these uh, witnesses each round and then if you win a witness that then lets you sway the jury um, and if you get all 12 of the jurors on your side 
you instantly win. Or by the end of all the witnesses, I think in this case it was nine or eight, um, you then win. Mm -hmm. uh, and it really came down to the wire between me and Wills, where um, we had, I think Wills had slightly more jurors going into the last two witnesses. And I played a card where I was able to... In I chose the witness, which was one of Wheels's defendant witnesses. I instantly then played a card to um, basically claim them straight away and replace them with another witness. And so it came down to the very last witness. Um, and Wheels, because it was a, a painting art forgery case, Wheels unfortunately had a card that could have won him the game, but it essentially allowed him to call the wrong kind of painting from his deck or discard pile, which he didn't have. So he needed a card that would let him call a Bray painting, and he had one that let him call a Rembrandt or something like that. Um, but it was it was kind of one card turn um, difference between winning and losing. It was that close, but I really really enjoyed it. It was it was really something. I've seen, this, but that was over tabletop simulator. I've seen this game in action over tabletop simulator because actually we filmed a let's play of it yesterday for the YouTube channel. Although I was not playing, I was relegated to cameraman. Uh, <laughs> and so I was basically filming lowly on wheels. To play. Well, they gave me a banana on tabletop simulator because you can have uh, you can have <laughs> objects. So I was banging that around like a gavel and spinning it and stuff, and generally <laughs> generally making a nuisance of myself. But um, it's it's a very good game. Um, mm. I really like the the simplicity of the card matching aspects, but it ties in so well to the theme that you really get invested in the back and forth of the case and they are kind of rinse and repeat it's not it's not because uh, they they were playing the art forgery case um and it's not like you see the cards and you're like well i know what happens i know where the culprit mm. is or anything like that um it's kind of you know what it's what i expected we would be getting with watergate um huh, watergate right, yeah. you know is uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a, it's a game where one half plays as the Nixon administration, the other half plays as uh, the FBI in investigating the Watergate scandal. Uh, and you play cards to sort of um, sway, well, it's sort of just gather bits of evidence to yourself, and then you play them in this little corkboard net and uh, try, like Nixon's trying to block the the investigators from making links between certain things, um, and if the FBI manages to make a certain number of uh, links from witnesses to Nixon, then it's all over. He has to resign. But at its heart, it's actually a very, very abstract game. And I think I was looking for something a little bit more grounded. And this is absolutely it. Like, it is... It's really compelling. It's... I, I, yeah, I really like it an awful lot. Yeah, I think one of the best things is you can really get into the kind of theme of it. So Wills and I were reading it. There's little bits of flavor text, mm -hmm. but, you know, we were just yelling at each other like, I object and I call to the witness, Your Honor. Uh, I call to the stand, Your Honor, you know, this witness and things like that. Um, and it's just like you say, it's not like a the art forgery case isn't like a one and done kind of you've solved it. We know who's guilty, who's not. It's it gives it enough flavor in a certain direction. There's also a murder case, I think, mm. that you can play and they've got a couple of expansions coming. But the actual game itself is kind of varied enough where you could replay it and replay it. Um, so yeah, I think the only <laughs> the only thing that uh, was never disappointed by was the art style, which we were certain was placeholder art and it isn't. And it's not, it's, it's not terrible, but it's just a bit naff. And I think yeah. it's... It's one of those things where particularly you can imagine this becoming like a Phoenix Wright 
spin-off from the video game series mm. and having this really fantastic cartoon art and having all these characters that you know and having all that um, kind of quirky flavor to it. And it would be incredible. But even so, like even with the kind of slightly iffy art, um, I'm really quite excited for the full thing. I didn't think the art was dreadful. It's just, it's, it's fine. Yeah, I think that's it. Like, yeah, it's just a bit like, eh. Yeah. But uh, when the rest of the game is so good, I think it's just the, you know, it's a very minor, minor niggle. Yeah, indeed. Um, but other than that, the the other main thing I've been playing is a Monster of the Week campaign. Speaking of uh, tabletop role-playing games, which my friend is running, uh, one of my closest friends, came up with the idea that we would all be uh, teachers at Hogwarts after the events of the Harry Potter series. I can't remember if I discussed this last week. I think week, so. Or, um, but yeah, uh, it's it continues to go. I'm playing a conspiracy theorist wizard, uh, witch, sorry, um, who doesn't believe in magic, or at least is very suspicious of magic. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the fantastic things is um, my friend has taken Monster of the Week's magic system, which uh, when you use magic in Monster of the Week, it can have glitches, mm-hmm. as they're called. So things can go wrong. So even if you cast it successfully, you can then have something, you know, go a bit awry. Um, and he has come up with this fantastic kind of subsystem where we have to create the spells as we go along. So we can't just use the existing spells from Harry Potter. Um, we have to cast them, roll for them, but any glitches that happen are permanently assigned to that spell, no matter who casts it. So from then on, like Lumos, which is a simple uh, spell about lighting something up, you could have it, I don't know, summon snakes as well. So every time you try and light up a corridor, you're also summoning snakes. That is incredible. Um, so yeah, it's massive fun. Um, and Monster of the Week is a, is a really great system. It's powered by the Apocalypse, mm-hmm. um, which we've had a lot of experience recently with uh, Worldwide Wrestling and the Root RPG. It's just 2d6. So you roll two six-sided dice, you add them together you get a fail, a partial success, or a full success. Mm-hmm. And it's very slick and easy to run. So, yes, it's... Uh, yeah, I'm having a very good time with it. I think it's... Um, I've not played Monster of the Week, but I've heard very good things. Um, I think it's one of those games where you can level up very, very quickly and quickly yes. become totally overpowered. Um, but apart from that, yeah. that oh, I mean, that, that idea of adding a glitch permanently to a spell is incredible. It's really good fun. The leveling up system actually is is nice in that when you fail a roll, you gain an experience point. Ah. So you're even if you're failing, you feel like you get something out of it and you're progressing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a really a really good system. I think the fast progression works in this case because I think Monster of the Week is intended to be a fairly short campaign style RPG mm-hmm. like you're not meant to it's not like D&D where you'll level up over you know a pretty a fairly long period of time at least a series of adventures like with Monster of the Week it's kind of like oh, okay uh, you know maybe one monster if you stretch out or, or, or a few and you can get up to the level of you know, the, you know a much higher level of mm. character development for sure. All right. Uh, shall we move on to news? Yes. Uh, for which we still don't have any music, or but we'll just roll with it. We'll. Excellent. News right. brought to you by that chicken from the Muppets. <laughs> um, that chicken, not like the collection of chickens. <laughs> just the one chicken. Yeah, we all know one the of one. Gonzo's chickens. 
I think my my favorite kind of bit players in the Muppets were always the singing fruit and vegetables, which only really popped up in the the films. Yeah, but they were just yeah real jobbers. If you know, they kept that. If he became a flavor, you could bet he would be sour. Even the vegetables don't yeah. like him. <laughs> Even the vegetables don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, in terms of news, there's not loads happening this week. Has it's had a couple of interesting things pop up. So. Um, obviously there's continuing stuff around the COVID-19 um, lockdown and the effect that's having on everything. Obviously hope everyone's staying safe out there and kind of making it through all right. Um, the One of the bigger headlines around that this week is that the, the Yu-Gi-Oh! World Championships have been cancelled. Uh, so they were going to run at the end of August, um, which I think more than anything is kind of maybe... Uh, showing how far this might be affecting things. Mm. Gen Con, which takes place at the end of July, start of August, um, is kind of the big board game convention over in the US. That, for the moment, is still on, mm-hmm. um, I believe. But I think it'll be interesting to see what happens there and whether it, whether we see that stuff shifting online in the same way that some video game events have done. Mm. So, um, But with board games, because they're so much more physical it's i think you do lose something out of it um but like we said last week uk games expo has been postponed and and there's a number of events either being cancelled or moving yeah um so hopefully um well hopefully that doesn't have a, a major effect on any kind of either publishers or people out there who obviously depend on those events to to get out to folks and uh, and to keep their business going uh, in a in an industry that has a lot of kind of small indie companies that do uh, some of them rely um, on making that stuff from event to event. So hopefully everyone's doing all right out there. Uh, the other thing related to the uh, coronavirus and COVID-19 stuff is a Magic the Gathering card um, from the Ikoria uh, Lair of Behemoths set, which is coming out later this month, um, was pulled because it unfortunately had the name Space Godzilla Death Corona, which... Sorry, sorry. <laughs> In like obviously the the global situation is very serious, but it was one of those things where you just see it pop up and it's <laughs> Space Godzilla, comma Death Corona, <laughs> and it's like incredibly unfortunate for Wizards of the Coast, which this set went to. So for context, this set um is all about monsters. Uh, it's got multiple characters from the kind of Godzilla series, including Space Godzilla, um, and Space Godzilla's kind of signature attack is the Death corona beam um which it's been that way since like the mid 90s so it's not as if they've just coined this and it's very unfortunate mm. uh it's kind of part of godzilla law um but yeah they've they've kind of come out and said oh you know this is not good we obviously wouldn't have put this in there if we had a chance to take it out yeah so the first printing of the physical set will have the death corona card in um, they've already pulled it from Magic Online and renamed it, I think, to um, Void Invader. So Space Godzilla Void Invader okay. uh, on Magic Arena, which is the digital version. But the first printing, because of those cards have already been made, uh, that will have that in. So out the back of this, I would expect that that will become one of those kind of rare cards yes. that eventually fetches thousands of dollars online but yeah just a very surreal kind of situation yeah um i I mean it's good that the renamed card still scans as perfectly to teenage mutant ninja turtles as the original (laughs) does um that's 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 comforting um space godzilla void invader yeah Yeah. um amazing it's 
like maybe it's just i mean you've got to laugh otherwise you'll cry really haven't you like the minute i saw that card i um i I burst out laughing um it's 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 just one of those unfortunate things you can't look too hard at um but in certain certain lights is extremely funny yeah i mean good on them for just kind of being upfront about it and saying hey yeah we basically couldn't do anything about this i don't think anyone is trying to say that you know it's just down to lack of sensitivity or anything like that it's just one of those things it's sheer dumb luck isn't it but yeah when you've got when it's already ridiculous enough to have a load of godzillas in magic the gathering yes and Mofra and stuff like that. Oh, it this better just... have Mofra. Yeah, Mofra's in there. Mofra is in there. Good. I so, don't care about any of the other cards. And All I want is Mofra. The baby Godzilla. Uh, and the most upsetting thing for me is that baby Godzilla and space Godzilla are spelt as single words. Yeah. Uh, so rather than baby space Godzilla, it's baby Godzilla. All one word. Nah, that's not good. Uh, not going in my deck. No way. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So... That's the that's the that's the lighter end of uh, of all that, um, and then uh, in between that, there's not loads launching on Kickstarter. We kind of mentioned Frosthaven um, last week, which continues to just rack up money, mm-hmm. um, which is just yeah. ridiculous. That will go and go and go. Uh, the the notable Kickstarters this week. Uh, I think we mentioned the Tales from the Loop board game last week. That's now live, um, and I think it's already passed its goal. It's based on the RPG. Mm-hmm. It, kind of it, it is a co-op game where it's kind of goonies-esque you attend school and then you do household chores and then you run around and fight dinosaurs mm. uh you know just like the goonies um and the other one is the a board game of resident evil 3 uh, uh, yes. from steamforged who did the resident evil 2 board game yes so yep. surprise surprise they're making another one of those yeah to coincide right. with the video game release good timing yes. yeah. Well, the Kickstarter is coinciding with the release, yes. but I believe the estimated date for actual release, because it's going through retail channels as well, is uh, March 2021. Uh, yes. Um, uh, yeah, I like Resident Evil, and I like horror-themed board games, and uh, it looks like a miniature-heavy scenario-based board game. Which, you know, can be hit and miss depending on how unique it actually makes it. Mm. Um, The one thing I kind of have an issue with, as soon as I saw the miniature for Jill, I was like, "Mm," because she looks, um, what's the word? What were we saying last week, Johnny, about the princess's dress? Oh, (laughs) that it needed like real structural support. Yeah, well, it looks like Jill needs a larger oh, no. shirt. But is she wearing shorts? This is yes. the question. Is she oh, wearing God. shorts? Are we all being lied to? Just um, <laughs> terrible, terrible people out there. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I guess if the thing is they're going with the style of the original um, 1999 release mm-hmm. where... Um, for all PS1's amazing graphical power, <laughs> potentially couldn't <laughs> depict Jill in an accurate way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess they're going off that. But I'm still like sat here going, oh, Nemesis looks really cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I look at Jill and I'm like, mm. yeah. Hmm. I would say I, I played the Resident Evil 2 board game and I thought it was all right. Mm. It was like, it was pretty solid as far as dungeon crawlers go. The main problem with it, it was just the tiles for it were so dark. But they were clearly trying to go for, you know, the 
kind of gloomy, mm-hmm. moody horror vibe. But they were just so dark you couldn't see anything. So they might as well have just been black pieces of cardboard that you then put these kind of grey and red miniatures on. I think I, I I don't know if this is just sort of confirmation bias really, but I I feel like that is something that's particular to board games adapted from video games, where you know the artist's like, well, send this off, and it's like, but I'm not. This isn't. This is being played on a table, not a backlit backlit monitor. You know, mm. this is going to be hard to see. I'm looking at you, the Dark Souls board game. You, you murky little so and so, you. That was the least of the Dark Souls board games problems. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. Let's not get into it. <laughs> okay. I didn't. I think with. I think they put out new rules since mm-hmm. that make it a much better game. But when it first came out, I found it immensely dull mm. and a bit crap. Uh, oh. Anyway. Moving Scathing on. indictment from. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. This Resident Evil game looks fine. It, I think it's pretty much that other one, but yeah. with Nemesis. Yeah. So I'm sure it'll make a boatload of money either way. Yes. Um, the uh, a headline that I missed before we started jumping on Kickstarters is um, it's kind of there's not a lot in this, uh, but uh, the I believe the president and head of publishing for it is Modi, mm-hmm. um, North America, which owns Fancy Flight which makes all the Star Wars board games, um, basically just said, yep, we're making more of those. Uh, so p- turns out Star Wars board games popular. Mm. Um, mm. So Steve Horvath um, said, uh, told Team Covenant uh, in a YouTube video, um, basically said, yeah, we've got releases planned up till the end of 2023. Wow. Um, so the next Ooh. four, three, four years. Um, kind of said, you know, X-Wing and Armada will get a load more ships. Mm-hmm. Nothing surprising there. Apparently Legion is doing pretty well um, after kind of a slow start. That's the kind of Warhammer 40,000-ish ground combat Mm -hmm. miniatures game. That'll be getting more stuff, um, including stuff from The Mandalorian. uh, That'll that'll sell. Yeah, that show's really good. Yeah. Um, You know, I'm I'm down for some of that. Uh, And also kind of said that Mandalorian stuff will come to... I think his his very careful phrasing um, was there will be content... Content across multiple games built on Mandalorian Season 1 and Season 2. Mm. So it didn't say, hey, we'll make a Mandalorian game. Right. Mm. Uh, kind of just said it, it will it will it pop will up feature. here and there. Um, yeah. But it did say that they are working on new board games based on Star Wars. Okay. So who knows? Maybe we'll see a Mandalorian game. It wouldn't surprise me. Are they making um, more stuff for Outer Rim? Yes, they Talking are. Talking of uh, games that are dull and a bit naff. Yeah, <laughs> that game... People really liked that game, yep. and it's 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 okay. I, the main problem with it is it just lacks stuff. Yes, I liked it for the first two thirds of the first time I played it. Then I played it a whole bunch more because uh, I was planning to do a review, and then I finished the final game and went, "I'm not going to review this because it's just boring." Um, yeah, unfortunately, it just it doesn't stand up to repeat play. And I think one of the big problems with Outer Rim is that like. Because it's, I like the fact that you're going and having these little granular stories where it's like, I'm going to take this unrefined coaxium to this planet, hope I don't blow up. Um, Everyone's off doing their own little thing. And it hints that PvP stuff is possible. However, there are only maybe three cards in the game that are like, you need to go over there and you need to donk someone up and take something from them. Um, And you have to play it as a public thing. So you could be on the other side of the outer rim, be like, honk, honk, I'm coming, I'm, I'm going to get you in about ten turns. 
Also, I'm a goose. Yeah. Yes. Um, it's just not fun, I don't think. And I tried to strike up a conversation with some people at PAX Unplugged who were playing Outer Rim. And I was like, hey, you know, here's what I think about this game. You know, like, what, what do you think? And they were just like, yeah. Um, so, not to malign Outer Rim players, but th- I met some and they weren't nice. <laughs> yeah, I think there is that your experience kind of mirrors exactly my experience which is like the first time through it's like oh this is really neat this feels kind of thematic like you're the scum and villainy kind of bounty hunters and smugglers and stuff but then as soon as you visit a planet more than two or three times Mm. you get the same stuff it's the same kind of encounters there's no variety in the event cards Mm. Um, i think this is a running problem with a lot of fantasy flight star wars games uh that at least some of those that I've experienced, some of those that I've read or heard about, is that amongst the many, many, many out there, there are a few gems like, you know, Rebellion or Legion or X-Wing. Um, but, like, there's also just a lot of forgettable or, like, just... You can tell this game just exists to capitalise on the licence, like Outer Rim or... Dark Side Rising, which you know, we made our own fun with that, but the actual game itself, I wasn't hugely keen on. It kind of felt a little bit by the numbers. Um, and then when they potentially do have something that could do well if it was given a bit more love, like Star Wars Destiny, uh, if it doesn't make enough money, they're like, sorry, you're you're gone. Let's just cut you out. No more Star Wars Destiny, guys. Mm. Yeah, uh, sorry f- for those. So you go on. I was just going to say, Horvath, he commented on the end of Star Wars Destiny, which was cancelled earlier this year, I think. Mm. You've got the, the story about that. So he basically, like you say, he basically said, oh, it, it essentially cost us a lot of money to make the plastic dice. Apparently it did really well um, initially, mm. um, but then it, the numbers just didn't add up, it seems. Yeah. The amount of t- time and money needed to make a load of custom dice and then put them in packets. Uh, yeah. So that's that was the end for Star Wars Destiny. Mm. I mean, a business is a business, like, fair enough. I don't know the specifics, but it seems to me like that, along with the fact that the Star Wars RPG is basically dead. Uh, can you imagine what they could do with that? Like, it would be awesome. I'm not even a huge Star Wars fan, but, like, if if they were to give it a bit more love, release a new edition, really lean into those, like, interesting aspects they're going with at the moment, with the Mandalorian and with, you know, those you know, like Outer Rim with the scum and villainy and those interesting little adventures they don't tend to explore in the mainline release films. They could do some really interesting things that they wouldn't maybe get the chance to in a Star Wars film. Mm. Yeah, it would be interesting to see a... I think Mandalorian would work really nicely as a tabletop RPG. That just kind of, you're a bounty hunter, go out and bounty hunt Mm. or do thing or escort small baby Yoda. (laughs) Yeah, or small baby Yoda that apparently looks like Tim, according uh, to yes. yes, Tim the Goblin. Yes, Tim the Goblin. Apparently, the, a crocheted baby Yoda that yeah. Loli's friends did looks like Tim, and it does. I can confirm mm. it looks a little bit like Tim. Our own pop culture sensation, Tim the Goblin. <laughs> Give it time; it'll get there. Uh, so yeah, that that's essentially the long and short of it. Is there are more Star Wars board games coming? There's, he just said, there's definitely more Outer Rim in the future. So. That suggests uh, an expansion of some kind, um, maybe a second edition that just has more stuff in. Uh, he wasn't specific about that. Sure. Um, and then Mandalorian stuff. 
so yes, and that's kind of it for news. There's there was one of a um, a couple of Kickstarters I wanted to point out. One is Dungeon Breakout. Uh, have either of you played Dungeon Degenerates Hand of Doom? <laughs> no, I, I, I <laughs> believe I would remember name. actually. Uh, no, I, I haven't. Uh, it's not that surprising. It's, it was kind of a cult game from a few years back. It's this kind of very. Uh, it's like an open world dark fantasy game, but the art style is very kind of psychedelic. It's a little bit 1970s Citadel, uh, like stark black and white um, drawings, except instead of black and white, it's black and like neon green or neon pink. Um, it was this kind of cool, um, you're all escaped criminals exploring this kind of very gritty fantasy world. You can head off, you can stick together as a group or you can kind of head off in your own directions, um, take on missions, do quests, kind of interact. Um I guess similar to um, what I was saying last week about Zia, um, but as a fantasy game, you just kind of make your own uh, story in it. Hmm. Um, but it was like well liked by a lot of people, and now they've launched this kind of small party game spin-off to it. Um, so whereas Dungeon Degenerates took, uh, I think, about two or three hours to play typically, uh, Dungeon Breakout takes apparently from five to 30 minutes, uh-huh. and it's literally you draw a tile to explore a dungeon, uh, then you move your adventure around and you either fight monsters or get loot. That's kind of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got kind of the same uh, neat art style. Um, so yeah, kind of cool that they're launching that. And then uh, very recently, Alex, me and you saw this from the designer of Spirit Island is uh, Force Science. Mm. It's got a new Kickstarter launch uh, pretty recently. Yeah, it's one of the guys. I haven't played Spirit Island, uh, but I've heard it's well-liked. Uh, amongst the the community i believe you've played it mr jarvis i have yeah i liked it quite a lot it's basically it's a bit like pandemic um in that you're you are deities fighting off invaders from a land um and you just have to stop the invaders from spreading like a plague um Mm. but it's it's cool because it turns the whole kind of colonization thing on its head Mm -hmm. where you are not the invaders trying to take over the land you are the spirits protecting the island from these invaders that sounds nice yeah. yeah it was cool it was also uh, the, brutal hard. Yeah, I've heard it's quite hard. Um, that's probably the main criticism I've seen amongst the community regarding Spirit Island. I think it's one of those things that can put people off. Um, I, I think it is you either really like it or you just don't gel with it. Mm. But the, this new game, which is from the same designer, um, our Eric Roos, is yes, a co-op game as well. Um with dexterity elements <laughs> mixed in. Um, yeah, it looks very weird. Um, the key element here, I think, is that the topic is a little bit... I don't know... They, this must have been designed a long time ago. Um, but uh, you arrange cars to form a cure and then build a cure with blocks. The, the topic for the game is finding a vaccine to disease... And a quote, stand in the way of viral annihilation. Yeah. There's maybe a better time to launch a Kickstarter uh, yeah. about yeah. a game involving the phrase viral annihilation. Yes. I wasn't sure whether they'd considered maybe pushing the Kickstarter. But, um, I don't know. Maybe they had their reasons. Uh, I think I it's made imagine. its goal, so. Yeah, there you go. Presumably. Huh? Uh, I think it's it's past its target, its funding target. So I guess there's enough people 
not necessarily turned off by the theme. The like you said, the gameplay seems kind of interesting. So yeah, I mean the the Kickstarter itself is um, well put together, which is sometimes a rarity <laughs> in the world of board game Kickstarters. When I've seen many, many that are just incredibly confusing and terrible <laughs> in terms of presentation. Uh, when I'm like, this is supposed to encourage me to to put money towards this. But um, yeah, I don't think... I can't imagine they're capitalising on anything. But I, I, I imagine the, the designer, you know, the very designer would probably be enough to encourage people to... Mm you know, pledge, like, that's often the case with tabletop, uh, you know, Kickstarters. It's often the designer who is the draw to people, you know, this this person made this, and now they're making this, and people are like, oh, I like that game. Uh, I will get, you know, I want to get this game. And also, you know, co-op games are popular, and it's got a unique little draw with the whole dexterity element, so... Yeah, yeah. it seems neat. Uh... In terms of other releases, pretty much everything's on hold. So here in the UK, uh, one of the biggest distributors, Asmodi, has basically said that everything's on pause for obvious reasons. Um, I think Fancy Flight has said that all its releases are pushed back by at least a month. Um, and in general, I think, obviously, the ongoing coronavirus pandemic is just uh, throwing everything back. Uh, so there's nothing really new out um, in terms of particularly board games. Uh, there's a few kind of PDFs of RPGs here and there and there's a few print and play games which we've covered on the site we covered some of those last week so we won't go back over them um but for instance like Tales from the Loop they've put out a print and play demo of that uh which yeah so there there's a few things available for folks to play if you're looking for something to play at the moment mm -hmm. um either by yourself or there's obviously Tabletop Simulator and things like that uh and we actually just put up a list of Tabletop Simulator mods if you're looking for various different things to play um but moving on, because it's quite light on news, so we'll be able to take quite a few emails. Yes. So, Alex, Mian, would you like to read this first one, uh, this oh email goodness. at the top? Uh, I would love to, Matt Jarvis. Um, <clears throat> this person writes, Hi, Team Dicebreaker. Questions for the group. After Johnny's lovely review of Quest, mm. and watching many of your online game sessions, I've decided to take the plunge and organise a game for my friends either online or post-pandemic, haven't decided quite yet. I'm the planner of my friend group, though, so to make that happen, I'm going to have to be the guide. Any advice for a first-timer in any respect of the word? Sorry, every respect of the word. Blech. Hmm. Um, plan loosely, and don't be afraid if uh, your plans go off the rails. Basically, I always say, if there isn't a plan... You can't go off plan. Um, but it, it does help to know where the adventure is going, I guess. So what I like to do when I plan a session is I plan backwards. I think of the the final thing, whether it's a revelation or a confrontation or whatever, uh, and I think about like who or what is responsible for that being the case, and I think about the little... the things the party needs to either find or realise in order to get to that point, and then I just... With those bits in my head... It's very easy for them to go like, no, we shan't go to the tavern. We want to go to the orphanage. And I'm like, all right, one of the orphans knows something then, you know. Um, I don't normally sound that that sort of standoffish, but that's that's my take on it. But, I mean, you've you've run quests, me in, right? 
Um, not quite yet. Oh, I thought you had. Um, no, mm. I haven't managed to quite run a game of Quest just yet. It's certainly one that I'm looking forward to running eventually mm -hmm. because uh, I'm someone who tends to prefer RPGs with a looser rule structure. Yeah. Um, because especially when, you know, being the guide in this case or the dungeon master, whatever you want to call it, um, I find it quite stressful to try and manage like many different rules, especially during combat, mm. like multiple different NPCs or monsters. Um, I don't tend to thrive in that kind of system. Uh, I am someone who does like to have a rough plan. So yeah, have an idea of, okay, this session, what do I want my players to you know, where do I want to end them to end up? You know, who do I want them to meet? What do I want them to learn? Mm. Um, and then, you know, having a starting point to that, maybe some checkpoints along the way, but definitely letting things, you know, hang loosely, as it were. Um, I find that if you... A uh, little insight, I'm a bit of a control freak in real life. <laughs> and I find if you try and, like push that kind of perspective on something like an RPG mm -hmm. with people who have full control over their actions and they could completely just go off somewhere you you know you did not intend them you know for them to go things can go right really quickly and you know your whole plans can be just pushed to the wind so if you have a rough idea of where you want people to go and what you want to do then you know you can cope with that a bit better mm. Yeah, I think Quest is a really good one for this, actually. As you kind of mentioned in your review, Johnny, it's, it's really nicely structured mm. uh, and worded for kind of first-time, like, people, whether you're the, the DM or the or a player. And it just kind of breaks things down in a really nice way. Yeah. Um, where it's just like, oh, hey, this is kind of what you want to do. I think the main thing is, like, just particularly for the first couple of sessions, and especially if the rest of your group... Uh, you know they'll be playing new characters they might even be new to role-playing games themselves it's just don't necessarily overthink it you know don't feel like you have to come up with an entire world before everyone jumps into it or like this really elaborate plot you can just have like johnny says you can have a kind of an end um for that session and it can just be something as simple as they discover a treasure or they fight a thing you know, I think the first couple of sessions, people just want to feel out their characters a little bit mm. and you'll be wanting to feel out the world as a as a GM. So it's worth just making things simple. And then once you've got a feel of like, oh, this world's about the politics or this world's about fighting monsters or my group really likes to discover treasure, you can then build out from there and introduce more NPCs. But to begin with, you can just take it easy. Don't feel that you have to jump into like big elaborate plots. Mm or to be even part of like a greater arc, that session can be its own standalone thing. I think it's why people really like session zeros. Yeah. Um, where you can feel detached from having to embark on a massive campaign and immediately be able to, you know, lay out the next 15 to 20 sessions. You can just say, okay, this session, we're just going to find out where our characters are at. The party is going to get used to being together and we'll go from there. Mm. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember if you said who that was from, but that's from Sam. Uh, who's yeah, sorry. Or yes. uh, full or Orangeful. I never know oh, how to say it. Um, um, but they are a, a member of the Dicebreaker community yes. who pops up here and there. So yeah, thanks very much for your question, Sam. Mm -hmm. 
Johnny, do you have this document open, or are I you do. recording? And unable. Okay. Uh, could you read the one from, let's say, Stephen Cosgrove on Twitter? Stephen Cosgrove on Twitter asks, "What are your favourite two-player games? I have quite a lot for three plus, but having friends over at the moment is not on the cards, as it were." How true that is. Uh, favourite two-player games. Um, God, someone else go. I'm gathering my thoughts. <laughs> well, um, as I imagine Mr. Jarvis was about to say, <laughs> we have a wonderful list on our website <laughs> for two-player games. Um, we do indeed. Go... Sorry? We do indeed. Yes, we do indeed, that you can go and see right now on dicebreaker.com. Um, uh, one of my favourite two-player games is um, Skulk Hollow. Ah, uh, yes. Which came out last year it was actually one of my favorite games of last year as well uh i believe mr whelan also rather likes it as well he does he does we played it together uh or skunk skunk hole skunk hole yeah skunk owl we're going with skunk owl um it's a game where one player is a controls a clan of foxen who are incredibly adorable um and they are trying to protect their village uh, against a, an enormous monster who might also have noble motivations. If you read the little bit of uh, background text that comes with the game, uh, the art style is really, really nice. Mm. It's bright and really just visually striking. Uh, and the foxen and the monster, it, they play very differently. So I guess it is an asymmetric two-player game uh and you get to like climb on the monster and attack them it's like shadow colossus um so yeah skulk hollow is very good mm. i cool. uh, go on go matt go i was gonna say if you're so i've been playing i've been getting back into chess with my wife mm. um for a while last year or, uh, or the year before um because we kindly received a very nice chess set uh, as a christmas present so we got back into chess uh, which I hadn't played in a while, and we were keeping a running tally going of who had won how many times. Um, but uh, chess, chess is obviously incredible. Uh, it is, you know, maybe the Tetris of of board games in just that it is like the classic. It's still very good. Uh, it will it will always be beyond me. Um, I just about know what en passant is, and that's about it in terms of strategies. Um, but along the lines of chess, another one that I really enjoy playing. Uh, like an abstract two-player game is Hive, um, yeah. which is, it's just really, really good. So you you play without a board. You have kind of these little hex-shaped um, tokens. Uh, they're kind of like acrylic. They feel very nice to hold. Um, but that is not my main draw to the game. Uh, you each start with a queen bee, um, who, and then you, uh, well, you have like a little, you have a matching lineup of, uh, insects and you add them to the to the kind of honeycomb of pieces so they all have to touch um mm. and then once they're down you can then start to move them and they all move in certain ways uh, and one of the really clever things is although it's basically an abstract strategy game the theme isn't much um it works really well with the insect theme because like grasshoppers can jump over pieces and spiders crawl around the edge a very specific number of times uh, and beetles can crawl on top of other pieces. So it's like, it, it's a nice way of remembering what each piece does. 
Um, and the objective is simply to surround your opponent's queen bee. Mm. Um, uh, what's your what's your favorite insect, Mr. Jarvis? <laughs> I I really like the beetle because you can be be really kind of spiteful with the beetle because if you crawl up on top, um, so like I say, everyone has matching. It's uh, ants, spiders, grasshoppers, queen bee. Uh, I think there's a mosquito and a ladybird mm. or ladybug, um, which are part of an expansion. Um, but the beetle is the only piece that can crawl on top. And so it's quite powerful in that, you know, whereas you can block other pieces by putting down ants or moving them around, the beetle can just crawl straight over them. But if you use your beetle to crawl up, I don't think the other player's beetle can crawl on top of your beetle so you can just use it to block which is massively frustrating but it's very much that kind of you try and do something to get into your opponent's you know area around their bee but then they counteract that and then you counteract that so it's a very tight back and forth game um but it's it's really really good um it's also very small and quite cheap to pick up um but it's just it feels like one of those games where you play it and it feels like it could be a game that people are playing in hundreds of years because it's like chess. It's kind of brilliantly simple, but really kind of uh, strategic. So you can just kind of play again and again and again. And it comes yeah. in a little zippy bag that's kind of like a, an old school Discman case. Yeah. So it's pretty good. It's very, very satisfying as a, as a physical exactly. object. Um, talking of nice tiles that go in a bag, uh, Azul two player for me is the sweet spot in that game. Like, Azul is a really nice chill, like, oh, I'm placing my tiles and I'm getting my points kind of game. With two players, it becomes brutal. It is so cutthroat that I end up just holding my chin and just glaring at the board like I'm willing it to burst into flames. Um, I adore it. Um, I think it's really, really great. Um, and the only other one I think I'd say is, I mean, there are, there are lots. Like, I, I really like Thud, the Discworld game. Um, that's very chess-like, um, but silly because you're throwing, uh, you know, uh, dwarves. You're tossing dwarves at, at trolls. Um, that's really good fun. I think they've started to make it again. Occasionally, it goes out of print, and you can only find it for like fifty quid on eBay. But I think the Discworld shop has started selling it again. But um, I think for me, like the the real pleasure in two player games, is just going. Should we play this big co op game? But should we all take more than one role? Because um, that's the beauty of co-op games is you don't have to have the number of people it suggests. It's a board game; it won't know. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely been a number of games where it's like this easily works with two people, yeah. like, or even one person playing by yourself. If you you know happen to find yourself alone, but you still want to play, you just scale up. There's no real reason. That's the kind of nice thing with board games is you can just you can house rule it. Yeah, perfectly I fine. S- I said, uh, I smell a list, Matt Jarvis. Oh, yeah. I smell a list. <laughs> the smell of list is in the air. Uh, come to Dicebreaker for all your recommendations uh, yes. for house rules, good and bad, uh, once we've written that list. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But come to Dicebreaker for the time being anyway. There's a really great list of two-player games. Um, and even some of the, the other recommendations, you know, they're all games that we've played um, and that we really like. Uh, so I think Wills Wills has done a video as well that has more two player games. He so there's has, no yes. shortage of of things to, of you know recommendations from the Dicebreaker team across the board for two player games, mm. for sure. Uh, I will read a a question. Let's oh go for. Um, let's go for uh, Stephen Payne on Twitter. 
uh, asks, is Johnny slowly morphing into a pirate? And on a more serious note, how did you get into the world of board game journalism? Oh. Um, I mean, to, to, to answer the, the question on whether or not I'm morphing into a pirate, I guess... I've always had a, a a big interest in in sort of military history and not military history, maritime history. Excuse me. Um, my dad, when I was a kid, used to take me and my brother to the uh, to maritime Greenwich all the time to see the maritime museum, which had a great exhibition on pirates. Uh, I've got the Cutty Sark tattooed on my arm. Yes, is the short answer to this question. Yeah. Um, and you did hold me up for sixty doubloons the other day. Yeah, thank you for those, by the way. They've come in really, really handy. <laughs> You're so welcome. Um, how? I mean, I. I got into board game journalism via video game journalism. Um, I was working at a website called Eurogamer, uh, which is uh, owned Never by Gamer Network, which, well, exactly, which is the company for for which we all work. So uh, basically they said, we're thinking about starting a, a tabletop site. Are you interested? And I said, yes, it was that easy. <laughs> well, it was that straightforward, rather. <laughs> um, I, it wasn't something I really planned to do necessarily. I was quite enjoying video game journalism, but... Uh, increasingly I found in my leisure time I was like, I want to play tabletop games and I sort of realised that my love of tabletop was eclipsing my love of video games uh, so this seemed like a natural sort of career progression uh, but nonetheless I feel very fortunate that I was given the opportunity and here I am Absolutely. Alex Meehan, how did you find your way into a board game journalism? Oh my goodness, what a saga <laughs> oh, what a begin um, so I did quite a bit of freelance writing for a while after I uh, graduated from university uh, and a lot of that freelance writing was uh, like Johnny uh, video game related um, but then I also started writing about tabletop gaming because I was becoming increasingly interested in the hobby after becoming friends of a lovely group of people who were into it as well uh, and I happened to write for a Mr. Matt Jarvis Never heard uh, of him. Um, yeah, yeah, never heard of him. At um, the Tabletop Gaming magazine. Um, and then, uh, yeah, this job came along. I applied for it. Uh, spent the few weeks nervously waiting. Uh, and then, yeah, got this job. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say it was easy. Uh, I spent many years after graduation... Uh, you know, trying to break into journalism f as a full-time job. Um, and, it, you know, I'll, some of it is luck. Some of it is just pure, you know, determination. Uh, never saying no. <laughs> no matter how many times, you know, you feel like giving up. Um, if, you know, anyone was to ask for advice, I would say uh, pitch, pitch, pitch. Like, you know, think about your ideas um, and, you know, try and fight against that voice in your head telling you to quit. Hmm. Yeah, I think I was I was very lucky in that um, for me, I, I came out of university having written for the student paper and the local paper and things like that. Um, and I uh, got a, a staff writer job on a PC and tech magazine, um, which I think it came partly from... Uh, similar to you, me, and just that determination of I wrote a load of stuff for no money, which I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend to people nowadays, particularly if you're writing for, you know, established sites. I was writing for the local paper in Canterbury. And um, 
but like a student paper um, and a small student website. So they were completely volunteer driven. Um, but I would generally advise most people to not write for free. Um, it's it's one of those things where if you're putting it out on your own blog and you're building up a portfolio, it can be worthwhile. Um, but generally I wouldn't undervalue yourself yeah. from the off because that just means that then, you know, your your work is worth something. You know, it's, it's always worth something whether you're first starting out or not. It's your time, it's your effort. Um, so yeah, anyway, I... Um, I wrote for a PC and technology trade magazine. So it's a, like a business to business magazine. From there, I moved into uh, video games, which was something that I'd always wanted to write about. Um, but I spent <laughs> a few, a couple of years writing about printers and ringing up grumpy kind of uh, PC world customers, uh, uh, people that worked at PC world who were grumpy and doing mystery shops and that kind of thing. Um, yes, yeah, so I moved into video games. Um, which weirdly, Johnny and I never really came into contact, no. despite kind of circling around in the same world for a bit. Um, but I, I think I pestered. I was constantly applying for jobs at Eurogamer um, and looking for a way into Gamer Network. Um, but I ended up then becoming the editor of Tabletop Gaming Magazine, where I was lucky enough to meet one Alex Meehan and Sarah Elsom, who also wrote for the magazine while I was editor. Uh, and I also met one Alex Lowlies, who was working for Big Potato, which was a board game publisher at the time. So I came into touch with a few of the team before I then joined. Well, I was approached about the job at Dicebreaker, which was kind of the dream job, really. And then finding out who the team were um, just absolutely sealed the deal. So, yeah, that's how, again, it's. I think there's a lot of luck involved, uh, you know, a lot of lucky breaks. Um, but determinism as well gets you there. And just trying to... You know, just, again, value your work, you know, be prepared to put in the time and the, the graft, but don't don't write for anywhere that's just going to take advantage of you. Yeah. Because even when you're first starting out, it's not worth it. You know, write mm. either for yourself or write for money um, from the off. Mm. So, yeah. Um, Alex, me and why don't you read this one on... Let's read this one from. Um, now I'm trying to decide uh, which one to take. We've had so many uh, questions. Thank you to everyone that wrote in um, yeah. on Twitter and through email. Uh, we probably won't get to them all today, uh, but we had a lot. Uh, Alex, me, why don't you read this one from Patrick Rose on Twitter? Patrick Rose. So two above Twitter. Stephen Payne. Yes, uh, Patrick Rose asked. Um, What's the dumbest mechanic in a game that you enjoy? You can read this as dumbest mechanic in a game you enjoy to dumbest game mechanic you enjoy. And to be honest, both are interesting questions. Okay, let's think. <laughs> questions are specific. Always kind of um, bowl me over. The gravity rift then... in Twilight Imperium. Um, oh yeah, I've gone on about this before because it's the the greatest thing. Use it, you cowards. You basically if you move your ships through the gravity rift you get plus one movement on your ship so it's brilliant for getting out their early doors uh but you have to roll a d10 and if it's a one to three i believe uh the ship explodes uh, and you have to roll for every single one and um it it creates some incredible moments of tension my friends and i have a house rule where we put the benny hill theme on when when it's um <laughs> when we're rolling for the grav rift uh it's it's amazing and there was one time where my friend he took that he took that uh he was playing as the the faction that 
their their one racial ability is that they don't have to spend influence to colonize Mechatol Rex. They can just go there and take it. And so he was trying to take it turn one. He loaded up everything he had and shoved it through the gravity rift. And the transporter, which is the thing you use to, to land troops and take a planet, blew up. And we screamed ourselves hoarse. It was incredible. Um, it's like just it, so many memorable moments from a really easily avoidable hazard that is just silly. That is, that is my pick. Best mechanic. So stupid. That's pretty good. I am quite fond of, I think generally, I'm quite fond of like very stupid how to pick the first player things, mm-hmm. which are very small, but I just like some of the thought that goes into them. Um, so one of the ones is Betrayal at House on the Hill. I think it's all of the in-universe characters have birthdays mm-hmm. written on their character cards, um, which serve no purpose, as far as I'm aware, other than to decide who the first player is because it's the character that has the next birthday rather than the player that has the next birthday. Yeah, it's really sweet. So it's just like a very small, weird thing. <laughs> yeah, and the characters in that game are so inconsequential in terms of like their 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 character, you know, their, their personalities. They have pretty much no, you know, yeah, no characteristics beyond just their individual abilities for like speed and strength and such. Um, to have the whole player order be based on something like that does make it pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it's really yeah. sweet. Um, I mean, yeah, as you say, the, the characters are so inconsequential. Um, we've we've just given them all names. Like the the football dude, we just call him Czech quarterback. And <laughs> my copy, for some reason, one of the, the plastic models is really bent backwards. Um, and it looks... It's the lady in the, the purple top, so we call her Permanently Surprised Lady because she looks like <laughs> she's reeling back in shock and alarm. Yeah, um, I would say my favourite stupid mechanic is um, appears in Bang the Dice Game, mm. which is a favourite of mine and a really excellent party board game and essentially a far superior version of Bang the Game, um, where everyone has a hidden identity in a ye olde westy town. Um, and they essentially have individual goals based on their different identities. So the sheriff has to defeat all the outlaws. The outlaws have to defeat the sheriff. And there is a rogue renegade character who essentially wants to kill everyone. Uh, and you roll dice to determine what you can do on your go. And essentially there is a huge push your luck element where you can roll your dice three times. Uh, however, if you roll any dynamite, you have to keep that dynamite to the side and roll the rest of the dice if you want. If you roll free dynamite on your turn, it blows up and you lose health and essentially ends your go. And the amount of time that I've, I've died outright <laughs> from that, in combination with taking arrows... Uh, which is also, I think, a really great mechanic, but maybe not as stupid as the dynamite, uh, is, you know, it's happened more times than I care to say. Uh, But it's all part of the, in my mind, beauty of Bang the Dice game, that it's such a quick game, that it rarely feels, you know, like you've been cheated if you die. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the key thing. There is a game, I can't remember what it is, 
but I know you roll a pool of dice and it says in the rule book that if you roll all sixes, you just instantly win the entire game and that's it. <laughs> and I think it says like you win the game and you win every game from now on. Brilliant. Oh, wow. So yeah, just very silly. Uh, Johnny, would you like to read this one from Oliver Gerlach? Nothing would give me greater pleasure. Let me find it in the document. It's between Patrick go. Rose and Stephen Payne. What is the RPG that you most want to play, but have never actually managed to try? That is a great question. I think I can kick off this one. I have always wanted to play um, King Arthur Pendragon, uh, which is a, a role-playing game, I think, from the 70s by the creator of RuneQuest, uh, the late creator of RuneQuest, um, Greg Stafford. Um, and it's this very kind of intense... Arthurian fantasy quest game but the fascinating thing about it is you do the you do the night stuff uh, you go out you do quests you slay dragons that kind of thing but then it's the RPG like a single campaign can span generations so you can raise a child and teach them to be a knight and kind of pass down oh, these things and cool. then almost like Rogue Legacy or something like that you you pass on these skills and then eventually you can play as those characters and it's kind of, it's not just about the questing and so on. It's about the home life settling down. <laughs> and it's this really kind of intricate thing. Um, but Matt it also. Jarvis, do you have a farm and can you have sheep on there? Uh, I'm sure you can if you want it. It's a role playing game. You can have all the sheep you want. You could train your sheep to become knights uh, and send your sheep, your sheep. Uh, spawn out into the world <laughs> well you really didn't care about those sheep in Agricola you were like Ugh, open the spawn <laughs> gates flood the countryside <laughs> the with sheep it's, it's me and the riders of Rohan except all the riders of Rohan are just sheep <laughs> wielding swords in their mouths what like news sick. from the march <laughs> um, I'm torn between two so I'm going to cheat and talk about both uh, firstly Simbaroom because that game is so atmospheric and gorgeous and I just haven't had the chance to properly assimilate the rules and run it for anyone yet because I'm kind of I've long fallen into that scenario where it's like that is an interesting RPG I assume I'll have to be the one who runs it um, so I just started <laughs> just reading books on my downtime to be like alright I'll learn this one uh, the other one is the um, Song of Ice and Fire RPG not to be confused with the Game of Thrones RPG which also exists and is a different thing but the Song of Ice and Fire RPG, I came so close to running a campaign for some friends. I put a lot of work into planning it. Uh, and then they sort of had a minor argument because they were housemates. And they were like, we don't want to play now. Um, but it's got a tremendous house building mechanic where you choose what region you're from. You choose how old the house is. And then you can roll on a table to determine the events. Like, you know, uh, a, win a sudden windfall or... A, you know a terrible incident and you decide as a group what those those events were and it builds up a rich history of this house and you also design the crest and your words and it means that because all the players are part of that house whether they are the nobles in charge of it or you know just foot soldiers that have you know served them for a couple of years everyone feels tied to the same sort of history and um like it it's just it's like a session zero, basically. I think it's really, really smart. And it's also a game you can play... Um, if you want, you could play it in that kind of I'm in the keep drinking wine and having clever conversations while other people do all the fighting and dying. You can do that because you can raise armies and you can deploy them in a sort of uh, abstract sort of campaign mechanic. 
or you can go be a you know a, a knight errant or whatever doing quests or you could be both you could have two characters um i just think it's dead smart and i really really want to run it but um i'm going to wait until all my friends have the taste of uh, the final episode of game of thrones out of their mouth before i suggest <laughs> it that sounds really good yeah it's it's great i think it yeah. is let me look at my shelf yep it's uh, it's on my desk in brighton matt so um, <laughs> let's. I tell you what, we'll we'll bloody well leaf through it when we get back to work. Let's do it. I think I've got a PDF actually. Ooh. Uh, so, so if if you want a copy, buy your own. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Meehan, what's on your RPG wish list? Oh my goodness! Uh, like Johnny, on my RPG wish list is one that I already own and has been sat here for a good few months um, since I bought it on a whim uh, from a very fine gentleman who sold it to me um, convinced me of his sugared words uh, to pick it up um, that in combination with the cover which is some, you know, something else uh, it's called Cult Divinity Lost and it's actually a it's for, I believe it's 4th edition but it's technically a remake of sorts or a relaunch of the original RPG, which I believe was around in the 80s, Mr. Jarvis? Uh, that sounds about right. It's cult with a K. Yeah, because right? yeah. it's... Yeah, Takes the Mortal Kombat like. approach to spelling. <laughs> yeah, it's hardcore. So we, we spell cult with a K. And essentially what really drew me to it is that not only is it a horror RPG, which I'm a sucker for, it's also got a really interesting mechanic based around the player characters themselves um, essentially the GM builds a campaign around the player characters individual fears so each player character when they when they are made uh, one of their fundamental aspects is something they are afraid of so that could be a, an event that they've witnessed that's you know caused uh, caused them to be afraid of you know uh, afraid of walking alone afraid of people not believing them uh, it could be something that has been instilled from them from a young age it's very much delves into the darker psychological aspects of horror which are ones that I've always been more into than straight up oh there's a you know a spooky scary monster uh, there are monsters in the game, and they look really quite horrific. Um, the art book, sorry, the source book uh, with the art in the source book is uh, really striking and kind of disturbing and gross. Uh, and essentially, it's got this element of like a hidden world that people are sort of semi-aware of, but uh, not entirely you know, able to see it where everyone's lives are kind of controlled by these sort of cruel and, and powerful gods. Uh, and our player characters are ultimately there to try and lift the veil on this this other world and make people realise that they are being controlled and basically oppressed by these terrible gods. Uh, so I've always wanted to play it. It's just quite a, a chunky boy. Uh, and also, it can be hard to get players for an RPG with that kind of subject matter. 
because I am aware a lot of people might not be comfortable with playing something that, you know, is designed around, you know, people's individual fears mm. uh, and plays so deeply into those psychological aspects. But um, personally, I love that kind of stuff. So uh, maybe in the future. Add it to the list. Never know. I'm up for it. Sounds good. Yeah. He said, inviting Ooh. himself. <laughs> <laughs> Why, yes, I will invite myself to feast at your table. <laughs> All right, I think we've got time for, for one more. Sure. Uh, uh, Mian, would you like to read this one from Sean, which I've highlighted in the doc? It's towards the bottom. Oh, my goodness, Sean. Sean, at Sean the Blue Sheep. Uh, loving that tag. Uh, um name is there a secret to managing to have regular tabletop sessions how many limbs do i need to sacrifice oh my goodness as many as you like really but uh i've always considered it to be non-essential in fact do, do try and keep one arm back it helps moving things around the table yeah yeah um it depends how many plastic appendages you want to try and use yeah i mean you while playing a yeah, um, Ameritrash games just get so much harder, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> just offer like um, a little finger as a snifter. Yeah, there you go. For the, or, for the limb god. Oh, no one said it had to be your limb. Like, as long as you're sacrificing a limb, it's kind of yeah. like corn. doesn't matter where the blood comes from as long as it keeps flowing. Yeah, well, that's the god, not the, uh, not the band. Uh, yes, yeah, I immediately sorry. thought of the band, which I think says so much about me. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, this is a, a question we've had from quite a few people, actually. So thanks to everyone that asked. We just happened to pick Sean's uh, tweet. But yeah, I think it's a question that a lot of people struggle with is mm. how to actually organize people to come around and play games or be around to play games. Um, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, it, I, it helps that I have friends who um, really love board games. So we kind of we've got a WhatsApp group where we're constantly just being like, or when, when are we next hanging out? We assume that when we see each other, it doesn't matter where we are, we'll be playing some form of game. Um, so even you know, even chance encounters, I'll take a game along and just be like, hey, I've got this. Do you fancy smashing out a game of, of blur? Um, but just keeping, just carrying on talking about it um, really helps because nothing kills people's enthusiasm for trying to organize something than being like, how's Tuesday? And people are like, oh, I can't do Tuesday. It's like, okay, we'll come back to this. It's you're basically saying let's let's put it off for another month. So just like just be persistent, I think. Be that squeaky wheel that annoys people until they, they just have to oil it with delicious social interaction. <laughs> Dunno where that went, but sure. Shut up, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Johnny Johnny's right in terms of just keep talking about it. I mean we have a I have a WhatsApp channel that I have a certain group of individuals in who regularly post, you know, oh, let's do some games. Even now, with uh, the social isolation situation going on, uh, we're playing games regularly either over Steam or Tabletop Simulator. I'll join. Get me in there. Um, <laughs> um, I would say that I'm lucky enough to have, like, multiple groups. <laughs> <laughs> wow kind of, yeah well and one of them social... is just just to satiate johnny yep <laughs> the social butterfly that i am um <laughs> that does help though I, yeah <laughs> i would yeah i would also say yeah nag 
definitely nag be like oh if people's like oh i can't do this day definitely say oh what can what day can you do i can do this day you know all these days and even providing options a lot of people find it hard to put themselves out there and say you know let's play on this day they often like to lead no sorry they often like to follow mm-hmm. um so if you can lead the the charge and say, oh, how about this day and let's play this, then people, I think, will be more willing because they're like, oh, okay, someone else has come up with you know, the ideas. I just need to turn up and have fun. Um, you know, ideally, uh, you'll eventually get to a point where a few other people take up that mental and not just you. But, um, hey, you've got to start somewhere. Yeah, and I think it's harder with RPGs because I think that relies on having roughly the same group every time. Mm. But I think if you can... I, I kind of like the the GM thing. If you're just looking to play board games with friends, start small, particularly if they are kind of newcomers and you're trying to get them into the hobby. It's like, just start with a game. Don't try and jump straight into an evening. You know, it can just be something you do alongside something else. Mm. Um, that Particularly if they're coming over, but it's even easier if you're playing over the internet. You can just say, hey, let's have a game of something quick. You know, half an hour of Secret Hitler or some party game, or even Exploding mm. Kitten, something like that. And then, you know, once... A, once you've got that rhythm in place and once they are maybe kind of feeling a bit more comfortable with gaming in general, that it then becomes easier rather than chucking them in at the deep end and being like, okay, we're going to sit down for six hours and play Twilight Imperium, which none of you have played before. Let's go. I think it's just, you know, you will have games that you want to play with that group, but it's also making kind of concessions to that group as well and knowing that they might not necessarily want to play the same things as you all the time, but over time mm. you'll find what they're into. And if you have those different groups, it sometimes helps because, you know, one group might be into heavier stuff and one group might be into party games and all of that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what you don't do is, you know, coax someone over your house with the promise of Percy pigs and a nice, <laughs> light evening of tabletop entertainment and then slam down a copy of Warhammer Talisman and be like, right, come on, let's go. (laughs) This is, yeah, I'm sensing this is from personal experience here, Ian. Have you been, have you been duped before? I won and I didn't even enjoy it. Oh, I, Talisman is a bad game. There's a lot of people out there that like it, and they're wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because, honestly, I feel like 90% of that game's... Uh, well, whoever tends to like that game is like, oh, I played this as a kid and I really enjoyed it. I've never I've never met anyone that has played it for the first time in the modern age and gone, this is really good fun. Mm. It just mm. feels like one of those nostalgia things. But hey, yeah. that's just me. If you enjoy it, enjoy it. You, good on you. You wrong yeah, person. Yeah, you do you. But yeah, I just, I've never, never understood it. But hey, you know, each to their own. Hmm. Please yeah. keep Talisman away from me. Please keep it. <laughs> it's yours. You can have all of it. You can have the Batman version. You can have the Kingdom Hearts version. Just yeah. don't invite me. <laughs> don't at me. <laughs> don't, okay. don't at me about Talisman. Thank you, the internet. Uh, I think that's about all we've got time for mm. today. So what have we got coming up on Dicebreaker? Johnny Chiadini, head of video and representative of the video team today. <laughs> What's coming up on the video side? Oh, goodness me. What a question to which I don't have an answer because we haven't planned next week yet. Um, 
Oh, what's gone up recently? What's, um, so we obviously we launched Spinebreaker. There are now at the time this goes out, there'll be two episodes live on the channel. It's um, it's some incredible wrestling action. This latest episode sees uh, Mian's character, the Duchess, take on Edgar <laughs> Allan Poe, who is my very yeah. strange Undertaker-like uh, character who speaks in bad poetry. Um, oh no! It's actually you know we've got Cosmic Frog coming up and. Um, Lawyer up, and lots of other things. <laughs> We've we we planned uncharacteristically loosely this week. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I think at the moment as well, just with everything going on, we're still finding our feet in some regards as to what we can cover, yes. what's actually available. Um, yep. But I'm very much looking forward to Cosmic Frog. That game looks extremely good. Oh goodness! Um, I mean, we can. I, I'm sure that Will Slowly's and I know it well enough to teach now. Um, yeah. And we've played it with three, which kind of is sedate at the start, and then you start knocking lumps out of each other. I think with five or six, it would be brutal from the outset, which is exactly what you want. Mm. I'm a big fan of frogs, as someone who used to collect them when they were but a wee babe. Live <laughs> frogs. Then- yeah, I used to I used to go out into the garden and beyond and find frogs. Used to go frog gigging. And then bring them into my mum's house, and which, funnily enough, she was most displeased about. <laughs> this is the most Alex uh, movie I've I, ever heard. Like, I caught a really big one, and I call it I called it Mrs. Wiggum. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's amazing. Right, I'm, I'm writing there that down as the name of this podcast. Yeah, that, there it is. <laughs> yeah, it's like how they made Pokemon, you know? Like that wholesome story of going out and catching... Just young those. Alex Meehan packing frogs into tiny balls <laughs> yeah. and then throwing them at people. Like, out Challenge me! <laughs> Challenge my frogs. <laughs> my army of frogs. <laughs> What's coming up on the website? <laughs> Uh, Dicebreaker's top 10 frogs in board games. Yes. Uh, oh my goodness, Matt Mead. Jarvis, please let me do that. Uh, all 10 entries are Mrs. Wiggum. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, we have, uh, on the website, we have, uh, as I kind of said last week, uh, we always have a kind of roundup of lists and recommendations. That's what a lot of people are looking for at the moment. Uh, so we've got guides to how to play D&D online and other role-playing games. We've got how to play board games online we've got a list of the best kind of digital board games um as composed by one alex Meehan. we've got um a list of uh, tabletop simulator mods that's the one i was trying to think of uh, if you're mm. looking to get into that um but so you did Matt Jarvis. i did yes it yeah. was it's quite an extensive list it's 17 different mods um wow. which took me a while to put together but yeah. they are they're all really good um and all worth checking out if you're looking to just play stuff at the moment um uh we also have we have a an impressions piece on the latest D D book. Uh yeah. which Alex wrote. It's Explorer's Guide to Wilderman, right? Yeah, I I teased it last week. Oh. Yes. Um, but it's now live. For, for you listeners and watchers. Uh but yeah, it went live earlier this week. Um and it was actually quite a bit fun to do. Um, yeah. I liked the book. It's a lot. I wouldn't recommend it for beginners, um, but if you are a Critical Role fan, and even if you're not, and you are impressed by immense world building 
as well as like genuine like value for money like this is possibly the first again i wouldn't call myself an expert this is possibly the first D source book i found that includes every single race apart from those found in the player's handbook um in you know canonical D lore so essentially if you had the player's handbook and this book as well you've basically got every single race covered wow. so if you ever want to create uh you know a character of any race you know this book will will do it for you as well as introducing um some new sub races and an entirely new um subclass uh, which sounds really cool um I can't remember the name of it now, but you can make multiple versions of yourself. Uh, you are a fighter um, class. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Nice. That's the ultimate way to organize a tabletop gaming group, is to just clone yourself multiple times and play with yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, uh, and other than that, we have a feature that should now be live, assuming all things go well. Uh, on Hero Quest, which is kind of one of the original dungeon crawlers. Mm. So kind of looking at the the legacy of that in things like Gloomhaven, uh, particularly in the wake of, obviously, Frosthaven doing really well. Um, oh. So uh, uh, Eric Watson, I believe, wrote that, one of our fantastic contributors, um, kind of going through um, exactly, you know, where dungeon crawlers are at nowadays versus back in the day. Um, mm. So, yeah, that was a, it's a really interesting read. And then... Uh, me and you've also, by yeah. the time this goes live on Friday, we should have a, a another list of recommendations. Yeah. there's a little treat for all you kids out there <laughs> who who enjoy some uh, uh, seasonal festive cheer of potentially involving chocolate eggs, uh, chicken, <laughs> bunnies, etc. There might be a little list out there for you Ooh. to peruse um, and maybe try some of those recommendations out this weekend. A wink, a wink. <laughs> yeah, uh, that Hero Quest feature, by the way, is by Nick Rubin, not Eric Watson. I got my contributors confused. Broad sword. Uh, but you can look forward to uh, Eric Watson, his previewed uh, Sea of Legends, which is a game that just got delayed on Kickstarter. Um, so that'll be coming in the, the coming weeks. Uh, which sounds really interesting. I think, Johnny, uh, given the chat of pirates and your love of merchants and marauders, yeah. that might very well be up My, the street. It you had extremely cool. C. Yeah, C of blank. Yeah. It's a Johnny Chiodini game. It is, 100%. Give it to me now. Both but, the letter and the actual you know, <laughs> wibbly-wobbly, watery stuff. It's true. Yes, the letter C. Uh, <laughs> the C and Johnny anyway. Chiodini, both often blue. <laughs> trademark <laughs> anyway yes i think that just about does us for this week and the second episode of the dice breaker podcast thank you for joining me johnny chiodini uh, thank you very much for having me matt i'm glad i didn't disgrace myself like wheels did never allowed back <laughs> on the podcast you will be permitted to next week it's like an elimination reality tv show it's just going to end up as me because i've eliminated everyone else off uh, yeah, how I've made price it this far, I really don't know. <laughs> We're but... two episodes in. We'll see how we go. But and thank you, Alex Meehan. Thank you, Mr. Jarvis. It's yeah. been a wonderful experience, enlightening as ever. Yeah, and uh, am I allowed to make a paper airplane and throw it over to the north U corner where wheels are sat? Uh, yeah, as long as you maintain social distancing. Yeah, yeah. You I'll can throw, throw paper airplanes wherever you wish. Paper planes are surface. You can't risk it. 
Oh, oh. true, yeah. Uh, throw a virtual one. We'll make a tabletop simulator mod that's just throw paper airplanes. Yeah. Cool. Anyway. Excellent. Uh, and I've been Matt Jarvis, and this has been the Dicebreaker Podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and have a lovely day. Bye.